I'm Noel Holtzman, and this is Open Concept from Yahoo Finance. I made this podcast to bring attention to the entrepreneurs and innovators in Canadian business. Every week, I will be sitting down with someone who is leading their industry, pioneering a new product or service, or just making interesting things happen. This week, when it comes to technology, the past will tell us nothing. Because technology is on an exponential curve and not linear, it's really weird. When you're on an exponential curve, you can look back and it looks almost flat. But when you look forward, it looks like almost a vertical wall. Hi, I'm Ray Reddy. I'm the founder and CEO of Ritual. If you ask people to name a top Canadian technology company, at one time, everyone would have said BlackBerry and then maybe OpenText. Today, many would probably mention Shopify, the e-commerce company based in Ottawa. If recent trends are any guide, Ritual may soon be near the top of that list. You can hardly go into a restaurant or coffee shop in Toronto today without seeing Ritual's name prominently displayed at the counter. Ritual's story is an impressive one. It was started in 2014 as an online food ordering app by Ray Reddy. Ray is a Waterloo grad who sold his first startup to Google in 2011 and was looking for the next big opportunity. Today, Ritual has signed up more than 3,000 restaurants, has over 100,000 members, and is valued at more than $300 million. I wanted to speak with Ray, partly to hear how he and his partners built Ritual so fast and so successfully, but even more crucially, to get a better understanding of how he sees technology. This, after all, is someone who held significant and extremely coveted positions at both BlackBerry and Google, and left both to pursue something even more compelling. While Ray was at Pushlife, the app company he created after BlackBerry, he was in London with his co-founders. His eureka moment came when he walked into a pub he had been to before, and the bartender remembered his order. For most of us, that might have been a, huh, cool moment. Though Ray, armed with computer science and business degrees from the University of Waterloo, sensed there was something bigger here, an idea to leverage. What if you could harness technology to create that level of personalization in every pub and restaurant? That got the wheels turning. We, we spent a bunch of time in Europe selling our, our technology to carriers there. Um, and so, yeah, so it, that actually happened a, a long time before Google, probably a year or two before that acquisition. So, so I think that thought w- was in my head and it was something that I, I, I just kept coming back to. But there was no real business idea there. It was just an interesting, um, an interesting thought. I think I just spent a lot of time, again, thinking about if there was a digital way for people to access local commerce... What would, that, what would that experience look like or feel like? One part of it is it could be a lot more personal, but I think there's other parts of it. I think it changes you know, how you discover businesses and um, how you transact with them, and it changes the, the fact that you're not anonymous anymore. And when you walk into you know, to a, to a business, they can know your name and your, and your order and have it, you know, um, have it ready f- for you as you walk in as opposed to you having to wait. If, if you could, if you had a, a blank slate and you had to kind of redraw how people interacted with local businesses using, you know, using digital technology, what would that, what would the, what would a great experience look like or feel like? And I think, I think it, it, it took many, many years for a lot of that to just kind of come together into like, kind of like one synthesized product idea, um, uh, which ended up being Ritual. I wanted to start at the beginning. You went to Waterloo. You studied computer science and math, but you also did business, right? Did you 
Did you always have a sense that you were going to go in one direction versus the other? Um, you know, I think from a probably from high school onwards, I uh, I was just really fascinated by you know it was I, I kind of was leaving high school at, at right at the time as you know I guess the dot com era around like ninety ninety nine and um, that's when I just started university and so I think during that whole time the internet was just becoming a thing and. I couldn't help but be just fascinated with what was going on, and you know, for the first time, you could really build products and businesses without any real hardware or infrastructure or equipment. And I think that the concept of being able to build something out of just with your fingers on a keyboard yeah. uh, just really fascinated me um, at a you know at a pretty early age. Um, and so I think you know, me and um, you know, and funny enough, my uh, my co-founders and I went to high school together. And so I think from a from a very young age we were we were just tinkerers and we tried to build products and um, you know and that's so I, so I never really thought of it as um, of necessarily as like becoming an entrepreneur one day but I think uh, we were always fascinated by by just building interesting products um, and and especially you know the internet made made distribution and the ability to build a product that other people could use just really easy and. And then, you know, I guess going through school, um, I mean, going into doing a math computer science degree was just kind of really, for me, it didn't really feel like there was really any other, any other option in terms of just really pursuing the thing that I was that I was interested in. Um, I ended up going to business school after that, mainly because I think when you do like an engineering or math degree, in, in those sorts of disciplines, there's a... Um, there, there's like very clearly like a right and a wrong way to approach a problem. And if you don't learn the right way to approach certain types of problems, you may almost never solve them. There's just, there's just too much work that's gone into like how to approach a certain type of problem. And I guess I wondered for a long time if business was sort of the same way. You know, would you have a big advantage or disadvantage if you didn't know how to approach certain problems in marketing or, or you know, or, or strategy or, or things like that? And I think, um, you know, business school was, was, was helpful, but I think the conclusion you know, that I had was that it was nothing really like, uh, like math or engineering, that, um, that enough things changed all the time that you really had to reinvent how to approach a lot of these problems. And so, yeah, so I think, I think it was, business school was still helpful, but in a different way. It, al it almost taught me that there isn't a right way yeah. to approach a lot of these problems. And then you joined BlackBerry uh, and you worked primarily in a business capacity yeah. Was that was that a direction then that you kind of that you knew I'm I'm going to be doing this versus going and working on the hardware side or the software side? I think the thing that I really optimized for was where would I learn the most? Yeah. Um and in taking my first job at BlackBerry, I um at the time I had I'd made it I actually had an offer from one of the large investment banks in New York and that was almost my default path. Uh, you know, the thought of like living in, you know, moving to New York and, and living there and this was um you know prior to the 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 financial crisis of 2008 and yeah. so uh you know that was kind of the uh the right the right almost like the the, the default stream after you know after MBA school and um I uh, I remember getting a, a, a call from the M and A the M and A team at, at BlackBerry, and um, I, I at that point I'd almost had made up my mind. I was like about to sign back the offer and um, to, to go to New York. To go to New York, yes. yeah. That was so. That was almost my my the default path. I'd, I'd pretty much made up my mind on that, and I just hadn't signed back the offer yet. And I was pretty pretty open with um, 
um, you know, with, with BlackBerry when they'd called me about that. Uh, and I remember, and, you know, I, I was very upfront with them on, on where I was, but, you know, there's no harm in, in meeting. So they were like, well, just come talk to us anyway. Yeah. Uh, and I did. And what's funny is I ended up taking probably half the salary that I was, um, that would I, I would have taken if I'd gone to New York. But what they really sold me on was that I would be the second person on that, on, on a team that when I left ended up being 20 or, or 25 people. Um, and probably two years later, I don't think that I would have even been qualified to to join that team um, just because it, it was just early and, you know, very, very similar to sort of a startup sometimes, yeah. right? When things are early on, you get, I almost look for these unfair opportunities where uh, I really shouldn't have had that job at that time. Yes. Uh, and it was, it was really my first job out of school. It ended up being a really, a, a really pivotal role for me because BlackBerry really invented the smartphone and you know this was this was the you know 2004 to 2007 era where um blackberry was really creating like what does mobile computing mean to consumers and i think having uh being at a, at a company that was really leading that that almost like revolution globally the mobile revolution was almost like started by them and and looking at and spending a lot of time uh, with a lot of smart people thinking about like what does that mean for many different industries, um, you know, what is what does the future of computing sort of look like? I got to spend a lot of time thinking about that, and I think that really shaped the rest of my career. Which was, you know, I think everything I've done from that point on was really about how does mobile change, uh, you know, mobile and digital really change something and change consumer behavior in a certain, um, you know, in, in different parts of life or different parts of business. While you were there, it would have been an extremely exciting and promising time to be at BlackBerry. And I would assume that you would have seen a tremendous scope within the organization, but you left to create Push Life. What was the, what was the sort of the impetus for you to leave this sort of runaway train at the, at the time? And I say that in a positive way and, and create your own business. Or did you, did you go in knowing I'm just, I'm going to gather some key skills and then apply them to my own venture? Sometimes I think when you look back, it can seem like a lot of things were very, like, uh, very maybe like pre-calculated and planned out a lot yeah. in advance. And I think it's hard, you know, for me, I, I, I find it hard to look out too far in the future. And so I think for me, it really was, when does it feel like I'm not learning as much as I could be? And I think, you know, when I am, um, and I, and I did for the first few years of, you know, BlackBerry. And I think towards the end, I just, it started to reach a point where I felt like I could just learn more by, um, by actually building something. And, and, you know, for me, it was, it, it's a combination of being able to learn a lot, but also when I see something that just really, um, that I feel is, uh, a big opportunity that's not being pursued. Uh, and then it, and for me that I, I just, when I build enough conviction in that, where I'm like, this, this makes sense no one else is pursuing this, I should just pursue this. And I think that even if it fails, I'd, I'd end up learning a lot. Um, and, you know, whether that's taking another job or, or, or you know, starting a, a new business, I think that's, that's it, it's more when it feels like it's the right time I make that decision. Um, I don't think it was ever like pre-calculated in that I'm going to try and learn these things and then leave to start, you know, to start to build a business. I don't think I've ever really thought about things in that way. Yeah, so it's kind of an intuitive, you just sense. And but with Push Life, you were there. I mean, you created it, obviously, but it wasn't very long before Google yeah. came calling, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I think Push Life was an interesting learning experience um, for me. You know, it the idea started out as, as something very simple, which was um, 
one of the things that I understood from from BlackBerry was that mobile was going to replace all portable consumer electronics. Yeah. Um, they would all sort of be consumed by the smartphone. Um, and it seemed, I mean, it's obvious a decade later, uh, but at the time it was a big question, like would phones really replace cameras? Would it replace portable GPS units? Would yeah. it replace iPods? Would it replace, um, you know, uh, video, portable video players? Uh, so you had, you know, this entire, you know, it's, it's funny to think about it, but 10 years ago there was like an, in, there were many segments of little gadgets and portable electronics uh, that we all had. And the thesis was really that the phone would, would consume all of them in the and end. Did, did you feel that it was at the time was fundamentally just a technology question around sort of competence, like in, in terms of the phone's ability to to match or better the technology of all of those individual yeah. devices? You know, I think from one of the things that I um, one of the one of the sort of the core uh, theses that I have about just business and and, and products is that for things to um, I'm a big believer in technology increasing convenience while ideally lowering price. Yeah. And I feel like that is the, the, the magic quadrant to get into when things start to um, get mass market adoption, right? So, you know, one of the core theses behind Ritual is really the same thing, which is how do we increase convenience while keeping price the same or lowering it yeah. as opposed to increasing price for convenience. Yes. Um, and so I think the same thing really applied then, which was, you know, if you could have all your your different gadgets all in your phone, that's far more convenient because I don't have to carry four things around with me. I can have one, but it all I get it all for free. Uh, a media player on a phone is a $0 piece of software. Yeah. You know, a camera on a phone is a um, a chip that's maybe 50 cents um, that's added onto your phone that, you know, at, at the time, at least I'm not sure what, what what they cost today, but the point is there it's it's nominal um, it's nominal hardware cost uh, as opposed to spending two three hundred dollars on on this. So I think it yeah. really fit that um, you know my sort of belief system of whenever something is dramatically more convenient and cheaper um, that that's going to be a big thing. Um, and I think that's kind of how how I felt about you know about mobile really replacing a lot of other a lot of other consumer products. And so you know Push Life was really about focusing on portable media players. And then, now I don't know if this was the accurate number, but it was reported that Google bought Push Life for 25 million. So that not only put money in your pocket and, and in, in your investors' pockets as well, but then swallowed you in to, to Google, right? Yeah, the, you know, the, um, yeah, I mean, the purchase price was never, there was a lot of speculation yes. on it, but it was, um, it was never disclosed or, or confirmed. See, you joined Google in is in Kitchener initially, right? Yeah. And then you went to California. Did you, did you again always know or that this is going to be a finite period? Because I would think, uh, once again, the opportunities to, to to build your career and uh, continue to be challenged at Google would be almost sort of indefinite. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet, relatively soon, you had you had left and started your own thing. I'm just wondering. Um, why did you not stay at Google longer yeah. than you did? Yeah, no, it's a it's a good question. Um, you know, I think really just following what I what I sort of said before was when I joined Google, I I um, I really fell in love with Google yeah. <laughs> while I was there. When I joined, and I'd say during the first year, um, I didn't have any intentions of leaving Google. And as I said, I don't think that ever in my career have I ever gone into something yeah. thinking that this is some sort of pre-planned thing and here's the timeline and I'm going to be out of here by, you know, by, by X date. 
and and I think until the very last week that I left, it was still a, a coin toss as to whether I would have left or not. Um, and I um, I really loved working there. And in fact, um, Google's one of the the only places I've ever worked at before where I would actually gladly go back and work for them again. Um, and I and I joke about that that someday yeah. I'll uh, I'll, uh, I'll go uh, I'll maybe I'll go back and work for Google again one day because it's uh, it really is a um, it's a, a really fantastic place um, with just amazingly amazingly bright passionate people who, who care about what they're doing and so um, I think I think um, you know the learnings at Google were um, about how to build a great company. And I think a lot of what what we've done at Ritual is really modeled over you know. Um, after a lot of the things we've learned um, from Google. Coming up, pickup versus delivery, ritual versus Uber Eats, why Ray believes that his is the better business model. Prior to it being food, were you were you thinking of other sort of commerce applications, clothing, electronics? Yeah. You know, I... It's interesting. Um, Ritual actually is. I think a lot of people think of us as a as a food company, but um, we're really not. Um, we're actually a pretty. We're a commerce platform that that happens to have started with food. And I actually like to really. I like to compare what we're doing um, to to pro, to to the way that Amazon started with with retail. Um, you know, I think Amazon is 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 an ex- a good example of a company that. Um, that has fundamentally transformed how you shop and buy products. The, but the problem is that shopping and buying products is such a vast world. There's 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 millions of products across different categories. So like, where do you begin, right? Um, and so so sometimes if you try and take on the problem too broadly, it can feel like you're boiling the ocean, and you, you don't actually build a, a product that has any any value to anyone to start. Yeah. Um, and I think Amazon did a nice job of starting with books. Um, it it was the the perfect category for them in you know in the in the mid to late nineties um, for many reasons. You know, I didn't need to actually physically touch and feel books to buy them. Um, they shipped very easily. They were light, um, and the infinite selection of books can't fit in any physical bookstore, right? So there were many reasons why that was almost like the perfect starting category for for the transformation of, of, of retail and, and e-commerce. And we think about it in the same way, which is um, when you think about local businesses um, and services, you know, things really ritual, the focus for ritual is things that are not retail. Um, it's everything else. It's it's things that um, that cannot be delivered to you where you have to go into the store. So, you, you know, that that's food, but there's also a lot of, Service-based businesses, um, health and beauty segments, um, you know, a, a lot where where the service itself can't really be delivered, and you have to, you know, you have to continue going into a store. But on that, and I was anticipating getting into this later, but but of course, with food, it can be delivered, and and others are delivering it, and and you currently are not. And was that a very conscious sort of decision, or does it continue to be a very conscious decision that we are we are not? Fedora and Uber Eats, others. We're we're going to focus on the pickup. Yeah. So I think so. Food. I mean, anything can can uh, not anything. But so what I would say is like, for example, you really can't deliver coffee. I mean, theoretically, it's delivered. It's deliverable. But but a different way of thinking about it is also can is an eight dollar lunch deliverable? It, it kind of is, but really it's not. I yeah. mean, I mean, the cost of delivering an eight dollar an eight dollar lunch 
makes it um, essentially undeliverable to the vast majority of the population yeah. um, on, on a regular on a regular habit forming basis. Yes. Um, so I think what is what you can deliver is um, group meals, right? So meals for three or four people. But the but the workday coffee lunch afternoon coffee or or picking up dinner for your maybe just for yourself when you when you start to make the price point under ten dollars it's really not deliverable right yes, got it um so so delivery the, the the average you know um basket size for delivery is 25 to 30 dollars that's another way of thinking about it uh, and the vast majority of food that's picked up is not um delivery doesn't even represent five percent of of the spend in the restaurant space um so so I think the point is 95% of food today is really you going to a local business, ordering food and and, and picking it up. Yes. Um, and and that's really what so so we don't really even see delivery companies as our as our competitors, really. It's it's what you were doing yesterday and it's changing that habit that that we're we're trying to solve. And um and again, the the so the way we we see it is local commerce is too broad. I mean, the number of businesses that that you walk into on a monthly basis across so many different categories is, is too broad for us to tackle, um, that we decided to start with food. Um, and and there will be more, uh, but food in itself is a very big category. Um, you know, in, in North America, there's almost, um, food spend is something like $750 billion. Um, and to put that into perspective, taxi spend is $20 billion. Yes. Um, so the people spend a lot of money on food. Um, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a category that's trillions of dollars globally. And the vast majority of it, like 90 X percent of, of food spend in the restaurant space is people walking into restaurants, ordering food and either consuming it on premises or, 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 you know, or doing takeout. Um, and so that's really the, op the opportunity for us is to transform how that segment, the, the vast majority of, of, of people interact, transact, pay, discover, um, and consume food from local businesses around them. I could see that one of the challenges and I guess the thrills of, of operating a business is that there's number of paths to pursue and they obviously have to be pursued simultaneously. And, and one is the sort of the globalization push of, you know, you've, you've grown the company very rapidly. And are you in 10 North American cities now? Yeah, and, and that your plans for Europe and Asia as well? Yeah, we're starting to yeah we're starting to explore a lot of international markets as well. So there's there's a, a sort of a breadth and and reach play there, but then there's also the the depth. Uh, and I understand that a lot of your focus is happens sort of at the neighborhood level in terms of consumption patterns. Um, and so I wonder, like for you on a on a day to day basis, or your leadership team, how much are you thinking in terms of breadth versus depth of experience? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think it's 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 both. Um, one is one is core to our product working. You know, one of the things that I think we understood about local, it, it was a very simple insight that makes ritual work. We we understood that in a in a local product, you are only as good as the coverage you have locally. Um, so what I mean by that is. Um, if you have, um, you know, if there's a hundred local businesses within a 10 minute walk of you, what, what it's kind of like if you had a credit card, um, if the credit card doesn't work anywhere, yeah. it's, it's kind of useless and it yes. doesn't matter if the credit card has a lot of great benefits. Um, it's sort of the same thing where, where ritual as a, as a software product is theoretically great. Um, it has a rewards program. It's very convenient. You save a lot of time. 
But if it doesn't work anywhere, it's kind of useless. Um, and so, the, so it's it's almost um, I guess the the best comparable would be imagine the Facebook platform, but if you had no friends, yeah, Facebook doesn't really work. Um, and and it's an obvious insight, but I think that um, we just took it to a, a different level that no one else in local ever had before. We we really became. Um, almost obsessive about coverage in in a neighborhood, um, and we actually got it down almost to a science where we knew that if you don't have at least this much coverage, the product is just not useful for people. Yeah, um, and so we understand that for the for for a ritual to be useful for people who live or work in a neighborhood, it needs to work in enough places in that neighborhood. Um, and and for us, we understood that it's not a ritual doesn't have to work across a country or even across a city. Because if you you know you 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 work at these offices here, um, if we had five thousand restaurants across Toronto, it doesn't matter to you, right? Yes. What matters to you is the ten spots that are within a five minute walk of here that you you go to, and how many of those spots can you use this product at? Um, and and so we we really broke it down to it. What matters is neighborhood coverage, not not coverage across a city. Uh, and a city to us is just a collection of neighborhoods that. Um, that have good coverage and where the, where the product is useful for people. How much does personalization play into it? Because when I when I look at the app, whether I'm at here or I'm at home, of course, it's, it's, it knows where I am geographically speaking. So if I'm at home, it'll tell me the the restaurants in my in my neighborhood. But it doesn't seem to have an awareness, and maybe it's because I've, I've I've not used it enough to have that of the fact like I'm a vegan. Uh, so when I go to to ritual, it shows me a uh, a wings place. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a fault of the app, but it doesn't seem personalized. Yeah, I think um, no, I think you're 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 absolutely right. I think that the you know I think for us it's really v v one of of the product um, is connecting you with. Um, with nearby restaurants, yeah, um, and and to some degree, the app isn't very smart about knowing who you are and and what you like. I think one of the, one of the things that um, uh, in terms of how, how we're thinking about food is that it's not about restaurants. We have to get down to menu items, right? Okay. To say it a different way, even when you think about a rating of a restaurant, what does it mean to say that a restaurant is is three stars? There could be one or two dishes there that you might love, based on your diets or, or or taste profiles, and there might be one or two dishes that that you'd hate, even if that restaurant was a four or five star rated restaurant. So, so I think the point is that um, for the first time, because we have transaction level data, we know we don't know just about the restaurants you've been to. We know exactly what you've been purchasing at those restaurants. We're now starting to make an um, an investment in understanding um, menu items. The ingredients, the cuisine types, um, and and I think something really powerful that should come out of that is our ability to not just recommend or, or put in front of you the right restaurants, but to actually um, recommend down to a dish level um, things that you should try based on things that you've eaten before. Uh, so so we're not doing this. Um, we don't have recommendations today, but I feel um, but when we do. Uh, I think they'll be very powerful and um, something unlike something unlike any other platform has has done before. Is there a time frame for that? Um, you know, I think that it's 
I mean, I think I think probably the first the first version of things like that will be up before the end of the year. Uh, we just uh, we just started um, we uh, we hired a very uh, a very senior uh, machine learning and um, analytics person from um, from another company recently to come head up uh, this part of um, this part of product for us. And so we're now making a big investment in again, again you know data and looking at um, again. I think there's two parts. One is we need to understand food in a different way. It's just not just a menu item, but really getting down to understanding what's in a dish. Uh, and then looking at um, in the same way that, you know, Amazon does people who bought these things also like these yes, things. Yeah. It's a it's a sort of a, a you know similar concept of looking at things that you've eaten before and starting to really recommend things that you like. Well and I guess that's what that's what I was wondering whether, you know, uh, would I would there soon be a scenario where I would open the app and instead of it being a list of of restaurants, it would be, okay, I like burritos. So here are five burrito options within within 10 minutes yeah i i mean i think that's would be I, I think that's exactly right i think we have to we have to get to it's it doesn't matter that there's you know 10 or 15 restaurants around you what matters is that there's 400 things you could eat within a 10 minute walk yes. of you yeah and i think what what we have to do is help you discover those things and you know a restaurant is almost a an abstract concept um it, it really comes down to there's hundreds of things you could eat and how do we help based on the things you've eaten before how do we help you discover new things that you're going to like and then how do you how do you manage the relationship with the restaurants in terms of your degree of embeddedness like is it is it a conversation now say so use the example of burritos or mexican restaurants you would see the orders sort of unfolding in a particular neighborhood. And that's, that's really valuable data. Is that information that you would now sharing with restaurants in terms of menu curation? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're now making a really big investment in products for our restaurant partners. It's actually something that we haven't done much of over the last, I think over the last two or three years, we really focused on consumer product. Um, you know, uh, so, so, you know, we had, we had products for our, our restaurant partners in terms of being able to receive orders and being able to fulfill them. Um, but really we, we lacked a lot of product around giving them data and insights around their business, around what was happening in the neighborhood, around food trends and price points and, and, and a lot of things like that. So I think that, um, we're now at a point where, you know, we have many thousands of restaurant partners across, um, you know, across, and, and the number will be tens of thousands very soon. Um, and so I think we're at a point right now where we make up a meaningful enough portion of their business as well that they there is now interest from, you know, from, from the restaurant side um, to really um, understand. I, I like to compare it to what happened to, to retail as retail went online, where, you know, 10 years ago, all, when you, if you ran a, um, you know, a retail business, a local retail business, you just needed to be, have the right location, stock some of the right products and, and things would kind of work, you know, but, but that's not the case anymore. If you don't understand digital, you don't understand how to measure, um, you know, what is the lifetime value of your customers? How much should you be willing to spend to acquire a customer? If you don't understand some very basic concepts of, um, of what it means to run a digital e-commerce business, you you really wouldn't survive um, anymore. And I think the same thing is happening in in local, which is for a lot of restaurants, digital. If you add up, you know, ritual plus plus food delivery, um, digital can make up over fifty percent of their business today. And so I think it's starting to get to a point where they're actually almost 
they've they've they're already in a weird way um, have already transformed into digital. The majority of their business is digital, um, not not walk-ins, not not analog. And so I think um, they just really lack the tools today to be able to understand um, a lot of basic metrics about their business. So things like um, you know if you if you own seven stores in Toronto. Um, what is the how does how does the service experience differ between stores? Um, you know how does food quality differ between stores? How, does it does it vary by by shift based on the staff that are working there? And so um, today, a lot of a, a lot of running a local business is not very measurable. Um, you know, if you do a good job based at the end, if your if your business um, fails or yes. succeeds, yes. Um, but there's very little you can do along the way to to understand why and what's going on and what are the different KPIs that that matter to your business. And so, I think for the first time, we're able to now you know expose those those things. So we have food quality scores and customer service scores daily or even hourly, um, and and you know our our partners can compare that across stores and say, well, why is one store doing so much better than the other? Is it a training issue? Is it is it the store manager um, and so they can start to get to proactively monitor um, and and fix um, problems before waiting you know before they turn into something that that causes their store to fail you have been very rightfully lauded in in the, the press for you know tech visionary and uh, among other things but you're you're still referred to as a serial entrepreneur and I wonder at what point does does that title, uh, become kind of an albatross as you're growing your business because it sort of suggests in somebody who's flitting from one business to another, and that's—I don't think that that's actually you. Is no, it? it's not. It's not me at all. No, um, no. I think uh, you know. I, I guess. I guess if you start more than one business, you're you're a serial <laughs> entrepreneur. Um, no, I, I really don't think about myself in that way. I think um, you know. I. I, I hope that Ritual is the last job I ever have. Um, you know, I think it's it's hopefully the last company I ever work for. So, I yeah, I think that we we really do believe that this is a you know a multi decade business to you know to build, not just with the restaurant space you know globally, but um, yeah, there's a very big opportunity across all of local, and so. Um, yeah, I, I almost see I almost see uh, push life as the as the stutter step that 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 sort of happened um, and and that we learned from uh, to be able to build something you know um, to take to take those those learnings um, and build something very big, which is I think what we're trying to do now. Ray, thank you so much for your time. This could have been a three hour podcast. Um, maybe it'll be multiple installments over the years because uh, there's so much more I wanted to ask you, but I wanted to be mindful of your time. So thank you. Thank you, Noel. No, thank you for, for having me on. That pleasure. That was Ray Reddy, founder and CEO of Ritual. If you like this show, subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or your favorite listening app. Drop us a review or let us know a disruptive Canadian business leader who you'd like to hear from. I'm Noel Holzman. You can reach me at nhalsman at oath.com or find me on Twitter at ngholzman. The show was produced by Stephanie Werner. We'll see you next week.